Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat that we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thanks for tuning in to talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I must say you look a lot better from this side than when I'm sitting at the back. It's really good to see you. Thank you, too, if I can say on behalf of Sandra and myself, thank you for your welcome uh, to us as a couple in the church here. We've got to know many of you, and it's been great to be welcomed by you. So thank you for that. And can I just welcome you as well? If you're a visitor this morning, it's good to see you. If you're not a visitor, it's still good to see you. And if you're joining online, welcome to you this morning as well. Well, as Joshua said, uh, Ian and Brody are away. And they've given us, or given me the topic this morning, of the challenge of endurance, uh, which is an interesting thing. And I, I've got a bit of a caveat before this, because I don't know what your circumstances are. You might be going through a really tough time at the moment, or everything might be rosy in the garden. I don't know. So I speak with some hesitation about this this morning. But this sits in our series uh, of uh, Believe Truth to Live By. And uh, I can tell you a little story, a personal story about endurance, if I, I, I may. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when we lived down south for uh, a wedding anniversary, uh, I decided to uh, treat Sandra to something special. Sandra is a big opera fan. Um, I'm not a big opera fan, okay? Uh, but she is, so I thought, right, well, we were down south, so I bought two tickets for the Royal Opera House, uh, and we went, and I got an email back that said, be in your seats by 5 p.m. I thought, that's wonderful. It'll be over by 7.30. We can, we can wander the streets of London, maybe have a bite to eat. So there we were at 5 p.m. in our seats, and it didn't finish till 10 o'clock. <laughs> Apparently, it was some piece by a chap called Wagner, and, uh, and it was five hours of endurance <laughs> for me. Sandra loved it. Uh, I earned lots of brownie points, and the good thing was I didn't fall asleep once. Endurance. You might have your own story of endurance, but we're going to read from God's Word this morning, and uh, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We might have it on the screen in a moment. Perhaps, David, there we are. Okay, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence 
in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law, but which, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, God, may God open that word to us this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was privileged to go and hear someone talk about endurance. Uh, you've probably heard of Sir Ranulph Fiennes, the explorer. Uh, he uh, was in Glasgow giving a talk. I know some others of you were there that evening. And he said some really interesting things. Uh, and one of the things he said was that when he picks people for his expedition, he doesn't pick them on the basis of skill. So he doesn't pick them because they're uh, a skier or a mountaineer. He said, I pick people, he said, on the basis of faith. It's an interesting word. I pick people on the basis of faith. And he talked a little bit about his own uh, sort of Anglican faith a bit. But he said, I pick people who have a belief in something or someone beyond themselves that gives them the motivation to carry on in the toughest of times. He said that, interesting, isn't it? Belief in something or someone beyond ourselves that gives you the motivation to carry on in the toughest of times. Well, Paul would have agreed absolutely with that. Paul wrote this letter to, uh, to the Philippians. That the church is several hundred miles away from where he is. He's probably in prison in Rome, uh, and the church is in Philippi. And he's writing back. This is probably his favorite church, if you're allowed to have favorite churches. And you can read the story of the formation of the church in Acts chapter 16. You remember Lydia's conversion and the Philippian jailer? And it's a letter that's suffused with joy. There's joy right at the start. Right in the opening verses, Paul says, I, I pray with joy for you. And at the end, you know the, the famous rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. It's a letter that's suffused with joy. Joy runs through this letter like Blackpool through the stick of rock. Can I say that up here? Is that all right? You know what I mean, don't you? Joy runs through this letter. 
But I discovered something recently about Paul that quite surprised me, that shocked me, quite startling really, something I hadn't noticed before. In Paul's conversion story, a Christian in Damascus called Ananias is told to go to Paul, isn't it? God tells him to go to Paul and pray for him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias says, uh, back in Acts, he says all sorts of things like, well, God, do you not know? (laughs) Do you not know that this man persecutes Christians? He even puts them to death. When that's a polite version, what Ananias actually says is, (laughs) you must be joking, Lord, no way. And God says something very interesting to Ananias. If I can get the slide up. Can we have the next slide, please, David? Here's Paul on the road to Damascus. And then God says something to Ananias very interesting. He says this, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. Not how many people Paul would win for Jesus. Not how many churches Paul would plant. Not how many people Paul would talk, would stand in front of and talk about Jesus, kings and rulers. No, but how much he would suffer. If you read the story of Paul, we know some of the things he went through, shipwrecks and beatings and all sorts of suffering. He knew the full spectrum of mental and physical hardships, certainly more than I've ever known or ever will know. You too may have experienced a whole range of struggles and challenges and hardships in life. You may be experiencing a particularly difficult or dark time right at the moment. Or perhaps for you, life is a bed of roses. But we know, don't we, that difficulties come our way. I don't mean to sound depressing. I want to be realistic. The struggles come our way in life. They come our way sometimes because we do foolish things. If I, if I break the law and end up in prison... That's my own foolishness, isn't it? Troubles have come my way because I've been foolish. Ralph Fiennes showed from the stage his fingers. He'd lost the tops of some of his fingers. Why? Because he'd taken his gloves off when it was minus whatever it was. He'd got frostbite. It was a foolish thing to do. Troubles come our way simply because we are foolish. You know sometimes when you buy a packet of food, it, it says at the bottom, may contain nuts. Well, when one of our sons was a bit younger, he said, that should be on every church notice board. Church may contain nuts. (laughs) And and, and I think he's partly right, because we do things that are stupid sometimes, don't we? We do things that are silly. We end up bringing troubles upon ourselves. But challenges also come because we live in a broken world. We get sick. We can be made redundant. Many of us, all of us, are facing the challenge of increasing huge rises in bills at the moment. We sometimes do fail exams. Sometimes relationships do break up. We're not immune as Christians from the challenges of living in a broken world. But there are also challenges that come from seeking to live out our Christian faith in an authentic way in the world today. I'm not talking about persecution like Christians in North Korea or Iran might be facing. But I'm talking about the challenges that come simply by trying to be a Christian in the world today. We might be ostracized by friends at work. We might be passed over for a promotion. Our neighbors might think we're odd. 
we're getting to know our neighbours. They're, they're relatively new, only been in the house, well, nearly a year. And um, I've had a guessing game with, well, with the neighbour next door. He wanted to know what I did, and I said, well, guess. Okay. Well, I used to do, I'm retired now. Well, uh, and he's still guessing. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone through carpenter, plumber. <laughs> but he, he got a bit of a clue when I said, I'm going to church this morning. So. We seek to live our faith authentically in life. We will come up against challenge. And if you're not facing a challenge this morning for your Christian faith, then maybe you need to think about why that is. The question is, what do we do when these challenges come our way? How do we respond? And does our faith actually make any difference to the way we live? Paul has a few things to say about this. We could move on to the next slide, please. David, that would be helpful. Thank you. Paul says to the Philippians, you are followers of Jesus Christ. He's the one you model your life on. He's the example that you follow. In Philippians, we have in chapter 2 this wonderful hymn. If you have your Bibles or on your phone, you might want to turn back to chapter 2. Right in the middle of this letter to the Philippians, Paul puts this wonderful hymn about Jesus. And he puts it there for a purpose. He puts it there to, to, to encourage them. There's some thought that this hymn already existed. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians and he plonks it there in the middle. And in the hymn it says, he talks about Jesus. He says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul is saying to Philippians, I think, look, we follow a crucified saviour. We follow follow one who went through the path of rejection and pain and suffering. So why should it be any different for us? Why should it be any different for us? Sometimes when trouble comes, we think, I don't like this. It shouldn't really come. I'm a Christian. Things should be okay. But we follow a crucified saviour who went through the, the, the path of pain and rejection. Why should it be different for us? Uh, Bonhoeffer. Oh, by the way, don't tell Brody that I mentioned Bonhoeffer. Is that all right? Okay. Bonhoeffer says this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I think Bonhoeffer's saying, yes, our old life is gone and we're a new creation in Jesus, but there's something more about we follow someone who went the way of pain and suffering. There's pain as we journey towards, towards death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, in case you're thinking Paul is saying, well, we've just got to grin and bear it then, there's a life of suffering, Paul then goes on. And it's the second half of this wonderful hymn uh, in chapter 2 of Philippians. Therefore, Paul says to the Philippians, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
See, Paul knew that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Paul had met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. And Paul knew that because Jesus had risen, he was going to rise too. And we're going to rise too. And Paul is kind of pointing out to these Philippians that there's a glorious future. He talks actually in chapter 3 of um, us being citizens of heaven, doesn't he? And he says, we eagerly await a saviour from there. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to restore. He's going to bring in the fullness of his kingdom. That's a, going to be a glorious time, a glorious event. And Paul says, look, we have that joy to look forward to. So yes, there is suffering, but there is joy. And it's like Paul in this letter is trying to keep those two in tension. So Paul's able to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his, resurre- of his resurrection. Paul can say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. Isn't that amazing? The glory that will be revealed in us when Jesus returns. And I think it starts now, actually. So there's a suffering and there's a future glory, but what happens in the present? Ah, we have the Spirit of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We could have the next uh, slide, please. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And sometimes when we're facing real difficulties, we want comfort, don't we? We want them to stop, we want the troubles to stop or to go away. We want to escape, we want comfort. What's your idea of comfort? Cozing up with a soft blanket, warm fire, cup of cocoa, lying on the grass on a sunny day. Did you enjoy summer yesterday? Paul, Paul, Paul says in Corinthians, he says, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles, who comforts us in our troubles. But comfort is not as we imagine it to be. The word here is much closer to encourager, the one who comes alongside us. Not to say, there, there, it'll be all right. But the one who comes along to strengthen us and equip us for the challenges we're facing and the tasks we're called to do. Uh, some of you older ones might remember back to the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, there was a runner called Derek Redmond, and he was a 400 meter uh, runner. And uh, in the semi finals, uh, he tore a hamstring and collapsed on the track. This is him on the track. And he tried to get up and fell down again. And the marshals from the side said, come off, come off, the race is finished, you're over, it's done with. And then from the stand, a man comes onto the track. And he comes alongside him, and he picks him up. And this is his father. His father's come from the stand and stands alongside him and picks him up and puts his arm around him. And and together, 
they complete the lap. The crowd are on their feet. They get a standing ovation. And his father says these words. Strength is measured in pounds. Speed is measured in seconds. Courage, you can't measure courage. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside us. What a wonderful picture of what the Spirit does to us. It comes alongside us. He comes alongside us to encourage us to walk with us. So some quick things the Spirit can help us with. First of all, the Spirit can encourage us to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Paul writes his letter to the church, not to any one individual. And the word for you in the letter is plural, pretty much all the way through. You, you. Paul is encouraging the church to encourage one another. We, we come here to encourage one another. You might think you've come this morning to be blessed, to meet God. And, and yes, that's true. But you've also come to encourage someone else this morning. You've come to be an encourager. If we all encourage one another, isn't that good? Isn't that what church partly is? A community of people who walk with Jesus in the struggles of life that we encourage each other. I don't mean the kind of, wow, phew, you've got it tough. Glad I'm not in your shoes type of encouragement. But with grace and gentleness, we may just sit with someone. And we may not say anything at all. But we can be with them. We encourage one another. My experience of people going through difficulties in church is this. When we have a struggle, we pull back. We're going through a difficult time, and we pull away. We, we, we don't have joy in our hearts. We can't come with all you lovely people who are coming here with joy in your hearts, you bouncy tiggers to worship. So we stay away. We pull back. Or we're too embarrassed to come. I failed that exam. I didn't get that job that you prayed for. So we're too embarrassed to come. And we pull back and we do the exact opposite of what we're meant to do. Now, I just reflected on this as I was preparing that this is really for those who aren't here, which is a bit... doesn't work, does it? And if you're not here, you're not going to hear these words. But you, you know people who aren't here this morning, so you can share this word with them. Encourage people to come back. Just to sit. You, you, you know, when, when we're in a difficult time, we need to be with God's people. Even if it means sitting at the back and just keeping our heads down, so to speak. We need to be with God's people. We need what I've called here to keep up those spiritual routines. Coming, praying, reading our Bibles. Just, you know, someone once said there's 11 commandments. And the 11th commandment is this. Thou shalt bash on. I like that, don't you? And sometimes there's some truth in that. Which we're called to bash on. We're called to keep up our spiritual disciplines. And to be with God's people. Spirit can help us also to remember 
Paul actually says, and we read from chapter three, forgetting what is behind. But, but I think Paul isn't saying that we should ignore what's happened in the past. Because what's happened in the past impacts us for the present. Things that have happened to us, things that shape us. There are things from the past that need to be dealt with, perhaps a broken relationship, or an unforgiveness. The past does need to be dealt with. But what I mean here by remember is to look back and see what God has done for us. We used to have in our family a couple of years ago something called a blessing jar. Have you, you used a blessing jar? No, if you've not heard of a blessing jar. Right, well, what you, this is it. Okay, what you do at the start of the year, you get a jar out, and every time you're blessed, every time you get a prayer that's answered, every time someone else you know is blessed, you write it on a bit of paper, and you put it in a jar. And at the end of the year, you empty that jar out, and you, what that old song, you know how the old song goes? Count your blessings. You count, literally count your blessings. You look back and see how good God has been. We need to remember what God has done for us. The psalmist says in Psalm 77, then I will recall all you have done. O Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. We need to remind ourselves of what God has done. Finally, perhaps this is the most difficult one of all. We need to surrender. We need to surrender. Paul knew the full spectrum of mental and physical suffering. But I think over the years he'd learned that even in the difficult times, God could be trusted. And because God could be trusted in the past, he started to realize God could be trusted in the future. So he was able to surrender his life to God. You might be surprised at that word surrender. It's, it's not a popular word today, is it? We don't want to bow down or submit to anything or anyone. We're our own people, aren't we? We have our rights. Surrender speaks of giving up. You win, I lose. Or giving, sorry, giving in or giving up. Surrender here, I think the way Paul talks about it in this letter, it's there in the kind of the subtext. It's not about giving up or giving in, but giving over. Surrender for Paul meant giving his life over to the Lordship of Jesus. He says here in chapter three, verse eight, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Lord, says Paul, my Lord. If Jesus is my Lord, you can't have two Lords, can you? You only have one, my Lord. I've no idea what the time is, by the way, so just. Bob Dylan, that well-known theologian, wrote a lovely song called Gotta Serve Somebody. Remember the song? Very perceptive, very perceptive. What he says is, you, you know, even if people discount God, you will end up serving something in life or someone. 
You've got to decide who it is. Paul decided he was going to give his life over to Jesus. Now, by surrender, I don't mean that decision of a moment when we become a Christian. When we become Christians, we do surrender our lives to God at that moment. I'm talking about the surrender that occurs the next day and the next day and the day after that. The surrender that's going to be required tomorrow morning and on Tuesday and throughout the week. That constant giving over of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. And surrender doesn't mean that all our problems go away. I wish it was. I wish it did. You know the story of Paul in Corinthians where he prays three times for his, this, what he calls thorn in the flesh to go away. And it doesn't go away, does it? But he hears this from God. God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made weakness, perfect in weakness. I love the fact that people come forward for prayer here. Prayer is so important. And I want to open that opportunity for you this morning to come forward, perhaps in the corner there, if you want to be prayed for something that's troubling you or or some particular issue that you have. Do come forward for prayer. But if we're honest, our prayers aren't always answered, are they? Like Paul's prayer. Our prayers aren't always answered. The question then is what do we do? There might be a tendency to think that when we're going through difficulties and struggles that God has removed himself from us, that God is far away. Mark shared this morning before we started that actually it's a bit like the story of the prodigal son. You know, the father rushes out to meet the son. You know, I think in our struggles, in our darkness, God moves towards us. But it doesn't mean that our problems just disappear or our prayer is answered straight away. There's something here, I think, about sitting under the struggle or the suffering or the hardship we experience and just letting God be God. That's a hard word, I think. Because we live in a culture where we want our problems fixed, don't we? We expect solutions straight away if we have a problem. But I think Paul, from his own life, and in the story he's telling to these Philippians here, is saying, sometimes we just need to sit with our suffering, with God. I mean, I was thinking of Job when I was preparing this, and and of course, Job's comforters are not a great example of comforters, are they? But I think there's something about Job who just sat with his suffering. And in the end, God brought glory for him and good news for Job out of that story I love the story of Joseph you know Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis Joseph who ends up being sort of king if you like of or second in command in Egypt perhaps he lacked wisdom in sharing his dream with his brothers perhaps he shouldn't have bragged to them about them bowing down to him perhaps his father shouldn't have shown favoritism to him by giving him a coat of many colours but he ends up, nevertheless, spending years and years in prison. And through that story, these words are repeated. The Lord was with him. And you know, at the end, Joseph is able to say to his brothers, you intended to harm me, 
but God has turned it for good. I think this is a tough word, but sometimes we just need to sit with the pain and the struggle that we're experiencing. Yes, we need prayer for that, and that's important to have, but if after prayer it's still there, then perhaps our prayer is that, Lord, you would do a deeper work in my life. It's about my heart. Someone said God didn't call us, didn't, didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us holy. Sometimes we just need to sit under, under the Lord. I'm going to finish now. There's one final quote here. If we could just have the uh, next one, please, David. This is what Spurgeon said. I love this. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. That's a deep word to say that, isn't it? I'm not sure I could say that and, and mean it. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. We're going to finish now. I ask you to stand this morning. If you want to go forward for prayer into the corner here, that will be great. If you have something that you want uh, God to deal with, there are people there who will pray with you. But perhaps you've had prayer before and you're still in a difficult place. Life is still tough. I want to invite you just to come and, and perhaps come to the front here and just sit quietly in God's presence. Just allow the Spirit to do something in your heart, to deepen you. God loves you immeasurably. The story of the prodigal is the story of God running towards us with his arms open wide. You know in that story, I need to stop going on, but you know that story where the son says, I'm going to say all these words to the father? If you read later on in the story, he doesn't say all those words to the father. And I like to think it's because the father's got his arms so tight around him he can't get the words out. That's how the Father loves us. So if you want to take that opportunity to come forward and allow God to just put his arms around you this morning, allow the Spirit to do something deep in you this morning. Let's, let's do that. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.